Hello, and welcome to the World We Live In podcast. I'm your host, Eric Patterson. Alongside me is Kyle Malden. Join us as we explore the amazing, mysterious aspects of our planet's cultures, history, and future trends. Good. We uh, we have a esteemed guest with us we do. this afternoon. Special guest. Flew him out. Flew him out just for the show. Oh. <laughs> uh, Oliver, welcome. Thank you very much. Proud to be here. Uh, Oliver is Kyle's grandfather, and uh, friend of the show. Friend of the show, definitely, definitely. Um, well, to open up with, Kyle, you said you had a uh, little question for us. Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Uh, I, w- I was talking, um, basically this, this came up, uh-huh. I, uh, is, <laughs> is a Venus flytrap a producer or a carnivore? A carnivore. Wow. Yeah. I guess a carnivore. So we, we have two, we have two carnivores. Did you say a producer? Yeah, so that's that's what it's called. Like what? So plants are producers because they use photosynthesis. Yeah. To grow. Ah. Um. But wouldn't it be both? So Venus flytraps are both. Ah. They are both carnivores and producers. Carnivores and producers. Wow, look at that. Are so there kind any? Of, kind of a trick question. Are there any other plants like that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Alyssa called me a Venus flytrap, and that got me thinking. Uh, <laughs> wow. If Venus flytraps, if because obviously they're they're plants, of course. But they, I was like, do they eat <laughs> the flies that, or do they just kill them? They and digest they, them, right? They digest. They them. digest they them. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know they digest them. I thought it was like a. Well, I assume they use their nutrients for something, but I didn't realize. Just suck the energy straight. Yeah, out. yeah, just suck them. Wow. So there, yeah, there you go. You became smarter today. I guess I did. That, um, one, that one's free. Since we're t- since we're on since we're on the topic <laughs> real fast of uh, of the nature, the world of nature. <laughs> um, I saw earlier this week that um, there was a species of tarantula, uh-huh. a blue tarantula that was found in I believe Guyana. Is that how you pronounce it, Oliver? Mm-hmm. Guyana. Where is that? It is. It's in South America. Well, apparently a blue tra- tra- tarantula is also a drink. Oh, look at that. It is a... I wonder what that involves. A margarita recipe. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, yeah, look, here's a picture. Do you want to see a blue tarantula? Yeah, I saw it uh, earlier. Here you go. Here's, some, here's some, bad, some bad podcasting, but some of those things are pretty vibrant. They're very look beautiful, at, but guy. they're nowhere near as poisonous as people have made them out to be. That's true. Tarantulas or blue tarantulas? Tarantulas in general. Oh. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about it before, but people that have like spiders and snakes as pets don't understand it. Don't not understand for me. It. Um, if invasive species, 
um, the the pythons in Florida. Yes. Anac- uh, yeah. The big snakes. Pythons, anacondas. <laughs> Both of them. Those animals or those snakes are brought in usually to a non-native species by somebody who has the uh, snake, decides no longer wants it, takes it out and lets it go, and it in turn breeds, and pretty soon you have no known um, predators for that animal, so it can run free and Mm -hmm. just generate havoc. So I think we can go, we can be probably maybe the first podcast that is uh, wishing, issuing a warning that says, please uh, <laughs> dispose of your snakes responsibly. Yeah, seriously though, like, what I don't understand is how someone just thinks that letting an animal out will, like, be okay. Well, like a, a snake. A snake. We're not talking about, like, oh, like, I don't want my pet mouse anymore. Yeah. Like, hopefully it makes it. It's probably like, eaten, you, there are but... places where you can, like, leave cats and dogs. Yeah. I, I'm assuming snakes as well, but, like, how in good conscience do you just, like, take your snake out back and be like, uh, hopefully it doesn't bite anyone. Hopefully they'll do the same thing to pets also, to dogs and to cats. That's, that's what they do. Uh, to be they fair. just drop them off, and the, then they're out there breeding and creating again. Uh, they're predators that are creating havoc with the critters that are in that in particular habitat to be to be fair people also just drop off other people on it does happen that is true so that is true why are we why are we surprised I guess I guess when you think about it it's really not surprising no it's <sighs> really? disappointing it's disappointing I feel like that's more we're not angry we're disappointed yeah, yeah. and uh, angry I mean yeah no dude natural species gets destroyed it messes up the whole balance yeah the, you've heard the story of when they released the wolves into Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. How they, like, within, like, 25 years, the whole environment had changed. Yeah, when did they... When did they uh, I believe it was 1995. That they did that? I think so. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. With a huge outcry from the ranchers that used some federal land, BLM land, mm. uh, to run their cattle, because they said that the uh, lobos are eating all of their calves as opposed to coexisting with them and understanding that you have to be a little bit more careful with your cattle that you're trying to raise for food uh-huh. in a natural environment. Mm. Wow. It is where <clears throat> Kyle and I live that uh, is a place in, in Agoura Hills, California uh, that is native to mountain lions, native to coyotes, who are very, very wise. And there, the people have built their houses right up against their habitat. Uh-huh. And then the people have their little foo-foo dogs, and the foo-foo dogs are out there. And coyotes, being very intelligent, will send their pup up to the uh, area where the little dog is and play with the little dog. And then lure them out and bring them in. And then all of a sudden you will hear a feast going down with the entire pack. Mm. Having dinner on the little dog that was lured out by the baby coyote. Hate to see it. Dog eat dog world. (laughs) 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 Hate to see it. I couldn't find anything called diggy dog. (laughs) 
Siri. Hate it. That, it. Your phone's weird. Siri pipes up too much. Siri does. She's no. My, 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 she doesn't get any attention from yeah, me. She, mine gets no attention. Tell her that Google knows what I hear from her. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, cool. Um, I think it should be stated that um, Oliver is probably uh, one of the most interesting people I know and has some incredible stories. Um, and Oliver, if you don't mind, um, I know that you have had a very interesting upbringing and uh, your travels have taken you many places, but what is your earliest memory? Good question. My very, very fuzzy early memory is of being in the Alps in Germany and being in a large rug sliding down the autumn leaves with my sisters on either side and the rest of the kids on either side and them all rolling out and falling down as we were flying down the hillside. And I, being in the middle, got to ride it all the way to the bottom. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. Um, so where in Germany was this specifically? This was in uh, Wegscheid, or actually Niederwegscheid, Germany, where we were, where I was born. And mm-hmm. then it was in, at that time, West Berlin, I mean, West Germany. Okay. And then from there, we moved to Mittenwald, which is also in the Alps. And... Uh, Matter of fact, Kyle's been there and seen the ice water, the blue water running off the mountains. Uh-huh. Rather pretty. What is a what is the closest big city? It would be across the border. It would be Passau, in uh, Austria, where my father was from. Okay, so south southern Germany. Southern Germany, then. yes, Bavaria, where the saying is, or they're very, very Catholic, and everybody in. Bavaria says Kreuzgott when they meet each other uh, being a religious nation the northern part of Germany was more Protestant or Lutheran mm-hmm. ah. what does Kreuzgott mean? God bless oh, there, you go. there you go simple as that um, okay so from from Germany where did, where did things go uh, for you? well for my father who was an electronics engineer uh, he talk about someone before it's time. An electronics engineer was an electronics engineer, yeah. and the job market in Germany after WWII was very <laughs> limited, and so he was a teacher. He repaired radios for an egg or a potato, and the exodus at that time was caused by the Americans first and then by the Russians when they figured out what the Americans were doing and there was a massive brain drain in Germany of people who had a reputation in the field. That's how we ended up with uh, a lot of the major scientists in this country that came from Germany. Mm, For sure. My father not being that high up in the chain of uh, exposure (laughs) Uh, went another direction. A lot of people from Germany and Austria could not emigrate to the United States because there was a uh, ban on them immigrating because of WWII. Uh And so their 
path to making money was to go to South America. Three countries were the main locations, one being Argentina, second one being Venezuela, third one being Colombia. And Venezuela had the oil fields and had the iron mines and had companies like U.S. Steel, Bethlehem Steel, and the petroleum companies in Lake Maracaibo. Um, my father, with a wife and three children, chose Venezuela. He did not speak Spanish, he did not speak English. We moved to Caracas, or the capital, lived in the uh, slums or ghetto of Caracas, uh, while he attempted to get a job with an American company. He ended up getting a job within six months uh, with Bethlehem Steel, and we moved out of the ghetto into a very prosperous American staff camp in uh, the coast of uh, Venezuela over by Gulf Paria. And we had, from there, we had our house, we had our car, we had American teachers, Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch teacher, husband and wife, who taught all of the kids that were there from the mm -hmm. from the United States and or from foreign countries that were in the staff camp. Uh, from there, we, we moved into the interior where the Orinoco and the Caroni River cross, which was where the ore came in from the uh, interior and lived there for the next six years, so 10 years all total, until my father came to the dinner table one night and said, well, would you like hurricanes or earthquakes? We had had, <laughs> we'd had both, yeah. and we said, earthquakes. And we said, why? He says, okay, we're going to California. It was either California or Florida uh -huh. for light climate. And so after 10 years in Venezuela, being 15 years of age, I came to uh, Los Angeles, and uh, while in Los Angeles, I went to the American Public School. Mm -hmm. The teaching or the educational system that we had—Santa Monica High School—was uh, where I graduated from. Wow, I did not know that. Was uh, so much advanced from the public school system in California that for the first few years, I just lied it. I didn't have to crack a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then I went to uh, Samo High and graduated from Samo High. And uh, after Samo High, went to Santa Monica College and was a was more interested in girls than I was in studies. <laughs> and there was such a thing as the Vietnam War going on. And since I was going to be put on academic um, probation, decided that I would tell them I would volunteer for the draft with a buddy of mine. And we went, we uh, got drafted, I did two years in the army, I did uh, shy of one year in Vietnam, up in the Da Nang, July area, uh, realized very quickly that there's nothing good about war, it uh, turns people into something that they really are not. And if you are firing, like today we fire from drones, at that time I was with artillery, you mm. fire shells and you kill people, and you, it doesn't really feel like you're killing a human being, and that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, the, the old way of, of killing people where you went one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano, at least there, it was the survival of the fittest. 
with a uh, with bullets or with artillery that's no longer survival of the fittest. It's survival of the richest. Follow the money. And that is a very, very shameful thing to say, but that is what it is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Kyle, you and me would both agree with that. I would. Yeah. And uh, in Venezuela, what was it like owning a pet ocelot? Uh, that was that was unusual. We uh, we first got a dog that had been mistreated by its owner or owners, mm-hmm. and uh, he looked like a little wolf. He was very very cute. <coughs> Obviously, had some shepherd blood in him, and then uh, somebody found a baby ocelot that had fallen out of the den, oh. broken its back, and so we nursed it uh, back to life. I was a baby cub, very, very small, and uh, called it uh, Tammy uh, until it got a little bit older and we realized that the plumbing was wrong for Tammy and we had to change its name to Montezuma. Oh no! <laughs> and uh, that, <laughs> that little ocelot would run, once he got his uh, legs back, he would run out in the jungle, hunt all night long, and about five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> come bounding in through the front door, jump on my bed and lick me underneath my chin. And for many years, I had a little red spot underneath the chin because as he got older and bigger, his tongue got a lot rougher. I was going to say. Oh, no. But he was a fabulous pet. Uh, The dog was terrified of the (laughs) lightning, but uh, you couldn't drag him into the house. He would cower underneath the car or underneath the truck. But he and the ocelot became best of friends. And he'd sit there and he would cry at the front door until the ocelot came out and uh, played. And the ocelot would jump on his back and ride him around. And they, they were just roughhouse. They had a great time. I have that on film and uh, I have to watch it every once in a while to remember how, how great oh it was to watch goodness. that. For, for those of you who don't know, um, ocelots are uh, kind of like, they're many, like, I don't know, like jaguars. Do a picture. Yeah. Oh, do you want to see it? They're really cute. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, knew I'd seen them before. There, there are. You, you can domesticate them, but they're they're pretty wild, and they're known to be. I mean, we said it. We said it earlier. Like cats are just like born killers. Yeah. They love killing mice, birds, everything, cockroaches, whatever they need. Um, really cute, but. Well, the one thing about cat species that's interesting is that the domesticated cat that we have today in our house is uh, with the same gene pool as the original cat. Their yeah. gene pool has never changed, whereas oh. with dogs, we have modified the dogs, and the dogs are nowhere near no. the uh, what their original uh-huh. species were. That's true. I mean, when you go to, if you go to a zoo or like a safari or something, you see a big cat, it, it, it does the same stuff as like a house cat, except it is just like six times bigger. But they are, they are the same goofy creatures. They just, you know, live in the wild then. Yeah, yeah. Have huge paws. Have huge paws. Well, we had jungle on two sides of our house where our house was. Nobody wanted to be out there, but my parents or my father and mother both loved animals and birds. And so we had uh, two sides that overlooked the jungle. The jungle was 
15 feet away from the front door, maybe 20 feet away from the front door. And every day you'd have the howler monkeys come through the trees past your house. You'd have the flocks of uh, parrots that would fly by squawking on their way to the feeding ground and in the evening back to the feeding ground. So it was a very, very beautiful place to be. And yeah. I used to run around in the jungle, uh, step on anacondas that were across the path <laughs> and not even phase you because you know that they don't move that fast and they're not uh, venomous, so they're not uh, quote to strike you. Yeah. Um, it was a, for a boy from five to 15, it was a paradise to grow up in. Oh, it had to be. Free. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's like prime adventure years. Oh, huge. huge at least, adventure. uh, at least, yeah, the beginning of, of adventure years for guys. Yeah, for sure. Follow up a uh, question. What was it like growing up in the sixties uh, in Southern California? The sixties in California was some very different feelings. One, uh, the hormones were starting to kick in, and then at school, heard the announcement of JFK being assassinated. Mm. That was uh, that was huge, and uh, the uh, people that say they they lived in the '60s are the people that were not running down the cannabis trail and were not the people that listened to the Grateful Dead and dropped uh, Sunshine Acid or Mickey <laughs> Mouse Acid. Uh, so you had two different cultures. So yeah, in California, you had several cultures. You had the surfers, which I was affiliated with because I love to surf. You had the ho-daddies who were the non-surfers. You had the greasers who were the ones that loved working on their cars and mm -hmm. making them do that. So you had many different factions and they would, the factions would actually have um, fights in the uh, local place that we used to go to, to to dance at by the Santa Monica Pier. And did we be, it'd all be separate little groups. Mm -hmm. And the fights were fist fights, there were nothing, no, no knives, guns, or anything like that. And a couple of people get bloody noses or bloody lips and that's about the size of it. But it was interesting because it was completely separation of the what the interests were, the line that people followed. Right. And after graduating from there, then it was uh, college or junior college and junior college to Nam, and then from Nam, came back and uh, decided to get married and decided to work for the uh, sheriff's department and uh, had my career with the sheriff's department. From there, retired, following by one love, which was fishing, and then deciding that I could uh, earn a lot of money being a private private investigator. Did that for 15 more years. Retired from that and still get called back on occasion for cases that they feel that my expertise is uh, of value. Yeah, I guess if they call you back, you must be good at your job. It, any job, whether it is PI, whether it's law enforcement, uh, whether it is selling clothes at J. Crew, 
makes absolutely no difference. All it is is the ability to talk to people and have the people respond to you. Yep. And if you can do that, that is the key to success, not the knowledge. Knowledge you can get from the computer, you can ask Siri, you can ask Google, and you can get all your knowledge at, a, at the hand. But having the ability to interact and work with other people, uh, not like our present government, where we have two different sides that have no interest in wor working with each other, they have more interest in being antagonistic towards each other. And that's very sad because that accomplishes nothing, that divides, and whenever you have a divided country, that country is in danger of falling. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Kind of going off that um, vein of thought, um, having grown up in Venezuela, do you feel, I'm sure you feel some connection to the country. The best way I can explain it, because I have been asked that question by uh -huh. other people, question. Uh, and that is that Germany or Austria was my mother and father. Okay. Venezuela was my sweetheart. Mm. The United States was my wife. Right. Or is my wife. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That's understandable. So allegiance, uh, allegiance to uh, one and all. When people ask you to uh, say that you have no allegiance to a country that you came from, that's not realistic. Obviously, there are ties there. However, the allegiance that you have to your wife should be different than the one that you had to your girlfriend. Mm. Unless you convert your girlfriend into your wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I guess my follow-up to that is, how do you feel about, or do you have any certain reactions to what is happening in Venezuela currently? I was in Venezuela, uh, obviously much younger then and not as, as not believing myself to be as astute as I believe that I am now. <laughs> and uh, we were there when Perez Jimenez was a dictator and there was a revolution in the country and Perez Jimenez was ousted. That happened in 58, the same time, I believe it was 58, uh, the same time that Che and Fidel were uh, kicking out uh, Batista out of Cuba. And it was a uh, interesting times. We were not really affected by it. And then uh, free elections came and I saw the country really do well. And then unfortunately the country took a turn, not with the present president, but the one before him who was charismatic and talked a very good game, but did not really give the people anything. And the person, his vice president, who is president now, uh, cares nothing at all for the people, because if he did, he would uh, allow open uh, elections in his country, which he's not allowing. And he's trying to make himself a dictator. Having said that, we talk a lot in this country about a democracy. Uh, democracy is a form of government. Dictatorship is a form of government. Uh, royalty is a form of government. None of them are better or worse than the other one if you have a person at the top making decisions 
where the primary objective is the good of the people or the good of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just right. The right. The the point the point of different you know governments is hopefully you're putting the best people at the top. But the inverted pyramid. That doesn't that doesn't always happen. But that is not that's, always that is that is the goal. That is the, that is that is the idea. Um, I talked about this in one of my of the new uh, midweek episodes I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I talked about how um, well there was an article I found about the Constitution and how um, this article was arguing about how uh, it should be revised Ooh. and how there should be because I mean even though the Constitution is the basis for our government. Uh, a lot of the terminology and topics imagine is outdated are outdated and there are topics that probably need to be included like in my opinion artificial intelligence there needs to be something done about <laughs> regulating that um, there need I mean yeah and then there's multiple issues the country is huge 330 million people now when they made it it was 13 13 states. Well, right. I was gonna say what when they made the constitution, there were thirteen states, and now there's yeah, fifty. Yeah, I know. But anyway, um, but no, Oliver, I agree with you. Is I agree with your point on no one, no one form of government is better than the other. Um, nothing's perfect. That's interesting what you said about the Constitution. I would beg to differ with you in that if you wanted to make a set of laws, you could go back to religion, to the Old Testament, and pick up the Ten Commandments. Can you really improve on the Ten Commandments? No, not really. It kind of says it all. Uh, The Constitution... It kind of says it all. Yeah. Anytime that you want to tweak or change or modify uh, something as great as a constitution, you will have special interests that will unfortunately work their way in there. And so by messing with it, it is similar to something that happened in our very uh, near future, near past. And that was when 9-11 occurred. Uh, The knee-jerk reaction was to institute the Patriot Act. Mm. And the Patriot Act actually eroded a lot of rights that people had under the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And that is never a good thing. Anytime you give power or take power away from the people and the rights away from the people, then the next person says, well, we can do this. Uh, All of a sudden you have what you have in Venezuela, where you have one political party in there and says, oh, you said this, that is a terrorist act and therefore we will arrest you and put you in jail mm. when all you are is really from the opposition who is voicing a different opinion. That's a good point. I haven't I haven't thought about that. I'm one for, I guess, updating. You could say the Constitution, but the I guess the way government works now that there, it, it is inevitable that there would be special yeah. interest groups 
involved in uh, such activity. Damien and Eric, have you heard or received that email that's been flying around now for a couple of years about the 25th Amendment to the Constitution? Uh, I, I saw stuff about it on Twitter today, actually. I would, I have not. That is the one where they said that uh, the people that govern us will follow and be susceptible to all the rules. Therefore, their health plan in the House and in the Senate would be the same health plan that the United States, that the citizens of the country have. The retirement program would be exactly the same as anybody working in private industry. They would not have uh, secret service protection at the cost, a very high cost to the people, because if you're in private industry, you do not receive that. Therefore, if you are representing the people, you could only represent them properly if you are under the same mandates and have the same benefits as the people do. Yeah. <laughs> I've 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 actually I've talked to my dad about that many times. Um, I had the dis. I mean, there's a massive disconnect between the people representing us and the actual people living in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't want to say any numbers, but most people in government are like white, like older males, and that is just obviously not an accurate representation yeah. of the the current population. That is true, but uh, that is true. There is, there is. I will say, a huge movement on electing younger individuals. Huge. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't um, listened to Joe Rogan, he just the other week had a. I mean, besides having like Elon Musk on, um, he had a woman who is a representative from Hawaii. And she is, I believe, early 40s. Um, younger. Younger. As far as yes. government Yes, and a female. Uh-huh. Um, so, the, I, the, I think there's a huge movement. A lot of people getting old, um, and I, I hope that that continues to happen. That younger, more, uh, more representative of who actually lives in America, and not just rich people who have a lot of money and are able to buy votes. It is. It's it, we, uh, Elliot and I were talking about it today. That like anyone can wander. If you're an American citizen, you can just like wander into a voting booth and like, vote. Yeah. And that is that is totally your right. And your that vote. You know, is worth as much as like the next person. Mm. And he was like the only thing, that is more frustrating than that, or like would be worse, is if like it wasn't equal. You know what I mean? Like, if, if someone else's vote, like, was worth more than someone else's, like, that would just be worse yeah. than maybe a misinformed or miseducated person being equal to someone who is informed. Mm-hmm. By the same token, with our last elections, you had money playing a very important role in the elections with the super PAC, where the super PAC was uh, given to one candidate over the other candidate uh, basically stealing the other person's ability to be a viable candidate for his party. Mm -hmm. Uh, Money needs to be taken out of politics completely so that anybody uh, born here like yourself or Eric, if you wanted to run for office you would have the same opportunity 
as a person that was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, going back to your point about the uh, about the Constitution and how if it were to be revised, there would be a bunch of um, interest groups involved and money involved. It's already it's already that way right now. So I guess my argument is why why not at least try to do something in, instead of like because that's the way it is, it's we all know that's the way it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the only thing why I, the only reason I don't think why it'll happen is because um, the individuals writing the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Or who I don't even know who I don't even know who would start to do that. I mean, I, like our, I feel like our Supreme Court would. Would have to rule. I was gonna say. Yeah, I, have, I, have, I, I agree. Have, like, final say on it. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this: What is what do you have against um, updating it per uh, additional amendments? I don't have anything against that, and honestly, if anything were to happen, I think that's what would happen. Uh huh. Um. But I just feel like a document as important as that needs to be needs to be updated. Like our country is not even remotely similar to the way it was when no. it was written. Now the values that are in the Constitution are values that obviously can't be rewritten. Like, those values are values that people have died for and, like, that are ingrained oh, in the huge. American society. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many countries, not only that, but base their constitutions, what you know, whatever, off of mm-hmm. our, our model, yeah, per yeah, se. Yeah, But, no, I think if anything were to happen, it would, it would, uh, it would be in the form of an amendment. Um, there are just a lot of issues that I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> need to be dealt with uh, term limits term limits for sure I mean you have people right now who have been there for like 30 years that's insane that could, Dude, that's just, just lifers just lifers and that's uh, that kind of goes off Oliver's point that he made earlier about the they have to have the same uh, healthcare coverage and all that retirement program yeah everything. yeah um, so I just I just looked it up um <laughs> that apparently it's so this movement is called the second constitutional convention of the United States and apparently this has been a thing for a while a thing <laughs> since 1787 <laughs> wow since, since the initial 1787 to 1788 debate over the ratification of the constitution there have been sporadic calls for the uh, you know, second convention to like commence to you know update, change, ratify, and it has um, dates listed as kind of waves, you know, in and out of yeah of you know stronger waves of support. Oh yeah. Another reason why I don't think it would happen is because everything takes so long when you're dealing with DC. So that that's a crazy thing is that back then it was like you had a ton of farmers and then you had all those people that yes. knew what was going on in a room and uh, the majority of people 
you know, not only didn't know, didn't have a say, but didn't know until like two, three, yeah, maybe a, a you know four weeks later. I may I may have mentioned this to you or yeah, Elliot. Just just pumping it out. Um, I mean, there's no doubt. It's and I'm not saying this uh, to be like. It should have. It was better back then. Like without a doubt, today the level of education that is all over the place and the way you can learn. I mean, that's obviously better than the way it was back then. But at least back then, you had a concentrated group of individuals making the decision who were probably the smartest individuals around. Like they knew. Yeah. You had the best. You, you had, had the best. Yeah. The people yeah. in the room were were the yeah. best people. Yeah, they're not. Well, they probably did. I would say the majority of them did have the most money, but that's just because they were the highly educated. Uh-huh. The only ones that were allowed to vote were landowners. I was yeah, yeah. I was and say, no yeah. females, landowners. Therefore, you you made decisions that were good for the farmer, not for the uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people working on the farm. Yeah, that's wild. Um. It, it was certainly more efficient. Yes, yes. It was certainly yes. more efficient. Well, well, a smaller group of people. I was going to say, like you said, there were, what, you 13, know, 13 states. Yeah, I don't know how many people. Under under a million people. Total? No, probably more than... Maybe more? I'm going to assume it's a little more than that, but definitely that. not a lot. But the pork bellying didn't go on as much then as it did in later years after the yeah. Constitution either. Where oh, if they were me. restricted to pass one bill on the merit of that bill and that bill alone, if it's for pork bellies, then you cannot add chicken lips to it. You're <laughs> just not allowed to. It has to be on the merits of that one bill. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they tried with the, the line item veto, which each party when they're in are highly for it, but the party that's not in are highly against it, mm. where they can actually excise pork belly out of a bill and get the bill to where it would pass because it didn't have the riders on it. 13 colonies population, mm-hmm. yeah. 2.4 million. There you go. Um, I'm not sure if that includes slaves. They were property that would not be counted. I, w- I, w- I was going to say, it just says that the first official census was taken in 1790. Uh-huh. Um, and that is an estimation. Like I said, which I imagine there are more people since, you know, slaves weren't accounted for. Yeah. Um, or, honestly, probably Native Americans weren't accounted for. Probably either. not. No, no, definitely not. So, anyway. Yeah. As really. a, they lost Manhattan for some beads. There you, know, there you go. Because they didn't believe that you could own the land. They believed the land belonged to everybody. And that then, is just the opposite <laughs> of what of what currently exists. Not not capitalistic. Oh my gosh. What we uh, we did we talked about it on a former episode though as far as you know interest groups the uh, the the Hertz family about the the hemp and. And marijuana, how that was basically just like all propaganda yeah, and yeah, yeah. money. I mean, you you can see like even is that like a a massive, you know, groundbreaking issue. <coughs> I mean, like maybe. 
you know what I mean? It doesn't really have to do with like foreign policy or you know, it changes like the country yeah a good bit. But there's just like so much stuff that is influenced by by money. Whether it is something as you know, as small as like hemp production or like people claiming that that Dick Cheney, you know, made money, which he did. <laughs> made off money of, off the war. Right. Like, How do you see, like, the spectrum yeah. of, yeah. of you know, influence? Yeah. It is it is just, it really is unlimited. The influence money has on politics is just unlimited. And the influence that is sold uh, just by former presidents going up to college or university and giving a speech and getting $1 million for the speech. Mm-hmm. And they're buying the they're buying the name they're buying the influence that they believe that person can exert. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that that would be the life. If you've done something like if you're a president <laughs> or like a motivational speaker and you get paid like half a million dollars, like a million dollars to go and talk for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, you get flown in thirty minutes. Let's do a couple of those. Hey. Answer some questions. Pet some babies. Sign, sign babies. Sign babies, yeah. That That is a... It's uh, not a bad life. Well, let me ask you something, Deb. Either of you seen Charlie Wilson's War, an older movie with Tom Hanks? I have, yeah. And in that movie, they actually show, in a Hollywood sort of a way, how you can spend billions of dollars on a war and after you have committed that war and you need money to put into the infrastructure of the country so that they can get the education, get the schooling to rebuild and at that point the government says no, we're done with that one, we're moving on to the next issue. Mm -hmm. I'd like to let you know Pop that that is the first time I think in podcast history our podcast live, history. Where we live in podcast history, where uh, there was a movie title that was immediately identified. Usually, Eric and I are like, we uh, we know like the first <laughs> word, but like not the whole thing. Oh, uh, uh, Tom Cruise is in that movie, and he goes and does blah blah blah. <laughs> um, Charlie uh, Wilson's War. There you go. Charlie Wilson's War was about um, supporting the uh, Afghan uh-huh. against the Russians. Yeah. Well, a, a friend of mine who is an Iranian uh, Jew mm-hmm. and fled the country, uh, he told an me... An Iranian that Jew. And there was a lot of them. Yeah, A lot of yeah. them in California. And he told me, I have no way of confirming this, mm-hmm. but when the Afghan war was going on, you had the um, a group that was uh, gosh what's her name Muji um, Dayan that were very old school ran that ran the country in a very strict way mm. when, you, when you say old school is that traditional traditional and they they were they were the law of the land and mm-hmm. they were not very nice to people and they were in the pockets with the uh, with the Russians at the time then they, a group, I believe he said, was a Taliban that came along that was students that wanted to kick them out. 
So the students end up getting paid by the United States, getting armed by the United States to throw out the Russians. And uh, obviously they were instrumental in that because Russia did end up leaving uh, Afghanistan. And then, the, then it becomes a little bit unusual because the Taliban ends up being enemies of the United States because of our dis, dis, our dis, not desire, but our uh, taking on something where it's already failed for the Russians, so why would we go in there? And the only thing that, that comes to mind is follow the money. Once again, there was a lot of money that was made by a lot of companies, a lot of, uh, I, again, this is information I get. Yeah, so yeah. I do not, I, 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 I would say, definitely look it up, make sure that the, the facts are correct, because I have not verified those facts. Um. Well, it's I don't think it's any mystery that Afghan Afghanistan was fairly prosperous in the early seventies, mm-hmm. late sixties, early seventies, and then uh, some meddling kids got involved. Yeah, kind of went downhill from there, which is unfortunate to see. It but is. It's happened. I feel like it's happened more places than not. I'm uh, I'm kind of surprised. Obviously, I don't know, and I feel like no one knows. But I'm surprised that the United States hasn't been more involved in Venezuela's conflict, just because mm. of the oil reserves. That I mean, everyone knows that Venezuela just has crazy yeah oil in their country. Well, in the L.A. Times, I believe uh, a week ago, uh, the OAS, which is the Organization of American States. Uh, it's a group of all the countries, and the OAS is now on the same bandwagon as President Trump is <clears throat> in telling Maduro, Maduro that uh, it's time for him to step down and get out of there, and that they're looking at different options to help him exit his uh, presidency or his dictatorship, whatever you want to call it. So they can bring a lot of pressure to bear. And their reason for bringing pressure to bear is the huge influx of Venezuelans into Brazil and into Colombia. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say the immigration is crazy. Because there are no, there's no help. There's no help. There's, you can't uh-huh. get any medications. You can't get food. You can't get toilet paper. Uh, for a country that has oil reserves like that, that is incredible. Yeah, I, it's just baffling how someone is willing to do that to just regular people. I, I don't understand what... I mean, it just has to be a sociopath. Well, I was going to say, we, we kind of touched on it earlier. Like, you are so distanced from, like, the people that you're supposed to be representing. You have no idea what's going on. It, just, it doesn't matter. They, it's not, like, even people to you. It's just, like, you are in power and everyone else, like, irrelevant. Yeah. An old book. So out of touch. An old book that tells it very true is The Prince and the Pauper, mm. where the prince has absolutely no idea and he goes out as a pauper and sees what is really happening in his realm. Yeah. It's like an undercover boss. That, in a sense, in a sense, yes, yes. Or Black Like Me. I don't know Ooh. if you ever read that. I have not read that. That was some good high school reading. Black Like Me is a. Uh, a white man that uh, applies uh, shoe polish and ah. 
passes himself off as a black man and uh, dude in and Alabama realize, is this a true story yeah huh. yeah yeah dude went, went undercover in the south and like bopped around and yeah wrote about his experiences as a I mean obviously he was white but like yeah. you know physical appearance was was black about being a black man in the south and like how different he uh, was treated and <laughs> black like me is crazy wow I'll have to check that out um well Oliver uh, I got one more question for you what is your fa- you've, you've done you've done uh, many uh, or you've taken many trips around the world uh, what is your favorite spot that you've been to? Or do you have like a top three? I feel like a favorite's probably a little difficult. The best way I could answer that would be that every place we have gone to has its own charm, mm-hmm. its own beauty. There are places that I enjoyed more, just like with food you enjoy, a specific food a little bit more than another or would eat it more often um, but it's it comes down to the same thing it's it's the people and the removal of prejudice from what you have been taught by either school books by radio by media and realize that the reality of it is quite different than what is presented by a talking head Mm. on uh, television or on radio so favorite place gosh Uh, going Yeti Airlines to see Everest (laughs) very 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 neat Kathmandu Uh, right yep Uh, going to the Amazon and fishing for peacock bass in the backwaters of the Amazon River Mm. huge Going traveling with the uh, Ryan and Kyle, the two grandkids, yep. huge, yep. and uh, being in the Great Wall of China in a hailstorm with Ryan and Kyle and uh, my wife, huge. Those you have little windows of time that make the entire trip. It's just absolutely phenomenal that one moment. So I think in all the places that we've been. Uh, I, it'd be very, very hard for us to say that any one was better than the other. Yep. Totally understand. Yeah. Yep. I, I think, think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. That is, and I think anyone who travels will say that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really, it's really difficult. Uh, like you said, to you know, each you you take bits and pieces from each place, and it's hard to rank those because they're like so different. Like, they are, how are you yeah. supposed to rate like India over like the Amazon? Yeah, you can't compare. It's it's impossible to compare. Totally different. Being in Japan with Ryan and Kyle, raining, going to Kamakura and seeing the Buddha with the largest ears in the world Ah. and continuing to rain and hiding out in a train car at a playground and watching Ryan and Kyle play soccer with a soccer ball they always carried with them everywhere. Inside the crypt, that memory stays with me. Yeah. It's like the little snapshots. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Do you have a favorite fishing spot? Uh, I had two for a long time. One of them was Kodiak Island, Alaska, that I absolutely love. And the other one is La Paz, Baja California, where uh, 
I took Ryan and Kyle many, many years, including all of their schoolmates, uh, went down there. The biggest group that I took down there was 31 people, with the youngest child being three years old. I didn't know that. Huh. Wow. I did in middle school. In middle school. Best vanilla milkshakes on the planet. <laughs> and the, uh, that's where uh, Ryan and Kyle learned how to play cribbage, uh, sitting in a bar overlooking the entire bay and watching the sun sunset, uh, where they caught fish that uh, you read about in The Old Man in the Sea uh, and really interact with the uh, fish captains where mm. all the captains of their pangas knew all of the kids, knew uh, and, and could be trusted to take the kids out and the fishing was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, Eric, I know, I know I've told you, but these, these boats, the, the pangas are... What are they? Twenty three feet yes. have a uh, basically a place to put the the bait. Yeah. Two seats, enough room for a cooler, and like the captain to sit like by the motor, and like that's it. And you're off. You are on some <laughs> of them have shade, but like a yeah. lot of them there is there's no shade. Uh-huh. There is dude the cooler for drinks, and you are like it's you in the ocean, man. You are out there. <laughs> You are out in nature. How far out are you? Uh, well, with uh, when Ryan or Kyle were in the boat, mm-hmm. they uh, got used to me asking them, you want to go uh, big or bust? Uh, which meant that you go 26K out to sea and sometimes 30K out to sea to the 88 bank. And out there, your probability of catching the largest fish was there, which would be a... 50 or 60 pound Dorado or Mahi Mahi, uh, Strike Marlin, Blue Marlin. Um, it was it just absolutely phenomenal. And you'd see the sea turtles swimming by, you'd see the uh, frigate birds feeding, you'd see watch the uh, manta rays jumping out of the water and chasing each other around. It just absolutely, absolutely. Or the one year, the last year that Ryan and Kyle went, we had a huge school of shark underneath our boat uh, huh. out by the buoys. So the, the experience there is the camaraderie of who you're with and then throw in if you catch a fish, you only keep what you could eat or you're going to eat and you release the rest and it's a uh, very tranquil, very beautiful place to be. I have no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, well, Oliver, thank you for... Uh, Taking a <laughs> short time out of our busy day um, to share some stories. I appreciate it. I thank you very much for asking me. And yeah. it is always a pleasure spending time with you, Eric, and with Kyle. Uh, that is what my life is now, is just enjoying the to watch you and both of you and Ryan also and Elliot uh, grow into... Uh, your own world where you're the movers and shakers and I'm the sitter by it. <laughs> Captain I, of our own ship, if you will. I have, a, I have one question for you, Pop, and then one question for Eric to oh, close no. out. Okay. Uh, Pop, what's the, uh, what's the secret to a good um, Cuba Libre? The secret to good Cuba Libre is obviously the rum. Uh, for me, it is... Uh, Pepsi Cola with real sugar and a slice of uh, lime in it. Um, that makes for a very
enjoyable or the one drink that I've been go-to drink. <laughs> uh, and Eric, my, my question for you, this is another one that I, I thought of this week. Oh, no. Um, so uh, people think that the moon landing uh, is faked. <laughs> they do. A big reason for that is to, in the pictures, uh-huh. there are no stars. Interesting. Um, <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Why? Why? When you take pictures of, or when pictures are taken of Earth, yeah. why are there uh, no stars in space? Why are there no? So here you go. Here's yeah, I mean, I mean, give me a little. His little ah frame of reference. Interesting. Interesting. Um. What's uh? Yeah, like this guy. Yeah, like that Every, guy. Everyone, everyone's seen everyone's that Everyone's seen that one. It's a good question. Um, my initial thought would be either the camera's not like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're stumping me. Um, I, I mean, my ignorant opinion is going to be that the camera's not good enough. Uh, the vantage point, I don't know, didn't pick it up I don't know um, I really don't know so that's that's close uh huh um at first when I I read that I stayed up probably for like 30 minutes thinking about it I didn't, didn't want to look it up I was like please let me be smarter <laughs> than this um it's it's just that when we I guess when whoever's like taking pictures of earth it's just like a snapshot uh huh and that the shutter on the camera needs to be open longer Ah, to absorb all the light. To absorb all the light because the light that's coming from like the astronauts are from Earth yeah. is what like fills up the lens. And ah. if you want to catch like the little stars, because obviously the main picture of the shot, the, all the brightness that's coming in For is sure. from Earth. For sure. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. There you go. So yeah. if someone uh, tries maybe, to stump me, someone tries. Someone, someone tries to uh, moon th- moon landing. Uh, moon landing. Yeah. There you go. That's cool. Um, yeah, just, uh, just off that real fast. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> it popped in my head. I can't not say it. Um, I was reading about just some of the technology in these uh, these satellites in space, and like just how they're able to take just high resolution images of just the universe. It's wild. It's truly, it's truly incredible. Like the Hubble is a incredible piece of of really technology, and uh, a lot of the uh, I know, I think they were talking about one of the Asian countries. I think it was Japan. I think it was Japan. Uh, they're putting up a uh, satellite that's supposed to do that. But it is, it's wild. It's wild that we're able to put stuff and it rotates around the earth <laughs> and we're able to take pictures. We we talked about it too. The the Japanese billionaire is getting shot around the moon by, <laughs> by Elon. Elon. Yeah. Good times. I don't know. I know we talked about it off off air, but I as much as I'd like to think that I would do it, I feel like there's too many things that that could go wrong. That's why I said I'm a luxury space traveler. I I don't know if I would be the first person to do that, but like I might be like the third or fourth. (laughs) You think after three times they've perfected it? 
I mean, kind of. I mean, I imagine it's like baking a cake. Like, it's different every time, and, like, you uh-huh. can do it, and, like, there is a repeatable process, and uh-huh. there are, like, little tweaks, you know. Sometimes yeah. you don't measure. You just eyeball the sugar. <laughs> hopefully, you don't forget the flour by the third time. You know, like, hopefully there's no biz- yeah. big missing component. Yeah. The first time, I'm not... I'm not... My life is too good on Earth. I don't need to be slingshot around the moon. No. I don't want to do that. Well, let me ask both of you a question then. If the opportunity were there uh, to be flown in cryogenics to Mars or to another planet that is uh, comparable to the world we live in mm-hmm. and set up uh-huh. a uh, ecosystem there, obviously transplant our ecosystem into theirs and ruin all their ecosystems. <laughs> Naturally. The anacondas of space. <laughs> uh, would you do it? Yes, I would. <laughs> do I... Is, it, is this a solo mission or am I with other people? Uh, with... Prob- no, you'd have to be with other people. Yeah, it's like a, like a colonizing mission. Think like Avatar. Yikes. Oh, Avatar, but we don't kill the natives. <laughs> More like Avatar, but the natives kill us. <laughs> I mean, it's a possibility. It's what would you're I, would up I for. do it? I probably would. Yeah. I'm purely going off sci-fi movies that I've seen. Like, that's what first pops well, in my head. Well, and most of those work out, so... Most of them do. Some of them are pretty bad, though. Um, the new... Uh, the alien... The new alien, uh, Prometheus... That's not turn out well. I can tell you that. Have a little uh, alien shot out of your chest. Have you? You haven't seen those, have you? Mm-hmm. You've, you've seen them. I mean, everyone's seen that clip. I don't know. You've seen the clip of the alien yeah. shooting out. Yeah, but. Um, but when you take a look at science fiction, you look at Jules Verne. Everything that Jules Verne wrote, the Aqualungs, the submarine. Yeah. The, it all all came about. They're visionaries. Um, like Elon I think is a visionary agreed agreed um, I probably would Da Vinci had sketches of like tanks and helicopters yes that's nuts what was it like 1500s I think 14 maybe but anyway is he alien Elon <laughs> <laughs> no Da Vinci Da Vinci I don't know Real quick note. Yeah. I've been to the Da Vinci Museum. That guy, first of all, risked it all pretty much every day. Yeah. Wait, dude, was digging up dead bodies too because that was the only oh, way yeah. people would die and there was no like science. Like what science? Science doesn't exist and you would just bury people and he would have to dig up dead bodies to do all of his research on. I and mean, that was illegal. Oh, hugely illegal. Yeah. I mean, dude, death was, you know, that person's dead. You can't, can't Don't touch him. Don't yeah. look at him. <laughs> Disease, their their body needs to be preserved to go to heaven or like afterlife or whatever. Yeah. Um, would wrote all his all of his notes. He learned how to write backwards, so his stuff oh, couldn't get right. stolen. That's right. Talk about someone that just operated on like a not like another level. I imagine that dude lived in frustration because sure. everyone around him just was inferior. Oh, had no ideas. Absolutely, compared to him, just like. How are you supposed to talk to anyone about your thoughts? And they're just like, yeah. I don't even know yeah. what that is. Like, I've never even thought of a flying machine. And you have like 12 designs of, of them. 
Yeah, you have sketches. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's true. But even back then, they had uh, fake news. And oh, the fake news yeah. In the plague. Alternative facts. In the plague, the fake news was that cats were spreading the plague. When in fact, it was the rats that were spreading the flags. That's where the fleas were, were on uh-huh. the rats. Yep. So if they'd left the cats alone, let them live, the plague wouldn't have been as bad as it was. That, that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> that's a shake my head moment. <laughs> but thank you very much. And yeah. Yes, Oliver, thank you. works. And everybody will listen to it and make you both billionaires. I hope everyone listens to this. Um, thank you guys for listening. You can find us on Twitter at World We Live Pod. You can find us on uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. We are officially on Podbean. Um, and if you are looking for a shorter episode, um, be sure to catch my midweek episodes coming out on Wednesdays or Thursdays. And yeah, rate and review on iTunes. And let us know what you think. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Have a good week. Ta-ta.